Feeling weary and worn? You're not alone, and there's reasons for it that may surprise you. Pastor Ed Ray explains. Physical, mental, and spiritual weariness. Often they go hand in hand, that when you're finding yourself worn out spiritually or emotionally, it's because you're physically not getting enough rest. So he's written about this before, and he points to the reward, because it's most difficult to continue in working when you don't get anything back. But the reward is still going on, it just means then ahead, right, into eternity. Moms of newborns and toddlers know a thing or two about being weary. How to be sustained in this high and holy work is to discover there's another source of rest. Well, today's Grow in Grace can help with that. Today, we're wrapping up Paul's second letter to the church in Thessalonica. Chapter 3, we're given some encouragement on the virtue of work, along with some words for the weary in work. Pastor Ed begins today's lesson, taking us back to Genesis, to the origin of work. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So a long time before the curse, Man was designed, in fact, to work in the garden. Now, someone said, yeah, but after the curse, he went from being a flower arranger to a dirt digger, you know, some really serious labor. There is some of that. There is worth in work, though. That's what Paul is saying. Again, because it is an attribute of God, and God has dignified us by giving us the chance to labor with him, co-labor with him in his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Let me just say something that will probably cause some people to struggle, but I want to be clear about socialism. I've lived long enough to understand that socialism versus democracy is hands down no contest. Now, I went to university in the 70s and then in the 80s and taught, and I heard Marxist professors and I, I listened to how socialism was going to solve all the world's problems. Let me give you the benefit of the culture shock I had when my wife and I went into Eastern Europe before the wall came down in Berlin. Now, we have worked in the Soviet Union, in Hungary, in East Germany, in Albania, in Romania, old Czechoslovakia, Czech Republic, Slovak today. Virtually every communist country, socialist country, they would say. And the first great exposure to me that completely shocked me was that they all had walls, they all had chain link fence, they all had plowed ground, they all had gun towers, guard towers every 500 feet or so. But what was unique about them was all of those fences were not to keep people out. Hello? All their citizens were trying to leave. If it's so good, if socialism is so good, why are people still trying to leave Cuba? 
because they had a radical dictator there who tortured and murdered people, keep those cards and letters coming, who tortured and murdered people and completely suppressed the free press. So Castro said some astoundingly stupid things. Let me tell you how I really feel. He said, well, you talk about the failure of socialism, the grand failure of socialism. How are those Greeks doing? The grand failure of socialism. Hungary is still trying to recover from 70 years of socialism. Why? Because you got generations of people that said, well, it's not good to work. <laughs> the, the, the state will take care of you. So he says, well, you talk about the failure of socialism. Show me one good capitalistic country in Africa. How about South Africa? How about Asia? He said, in Africa, in Asia, in South America. How about Brazil? How about Argentina? How about Japan, third largest economy in the world? How about China, second largest? Now why? Because they're becoming capitalists. Thailand? How long do you want the list? Socialism is the wrong direction, and Paul is teaching directly against it here. All right? Okay, so... Okay, my little rant's over. We're moving on. Verse 11. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, unruly manner, not working at all, but are busy bodies. The Greek word busy bodies and working is a play on words that they word, the words sound alike. In fact, busy body really means to work around, to work hard at not working, we would say. You know, you're not busy, but busy bodies. And then he said, the result is, we'll hear this gossip talking about other people. You got too much time in your hands. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. My grandmother kept saying, I cannot find it in the Bible, but it's still a great saying, right? Something here. I love the note sent home by a third grade teacher to all the parents of her class after the first day of school. It said, quote, if you promise not to believe everything your child says happened in school, I promise not to believe everything your child says happened at your house. <laughs> okay, so we need to focus on being busy. But again, it's not for duty's sake. It's out of privilege. And because we find ourselves being made in the image of God, that we find fulfillment in putting in a good day's work. Now those, verse 12 who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So Paul is saying things that he said before, but he's trying to deal with this subject of gossip, the danger of talking about quietness here is of course related to not talking about other people. Several times Pastor Alan Redpath came here, he was a British pastor, a Moody Bible Church in Chicago and Charlotte Chapel in England, just a great guy. Still, his books are in print. But he wrote about this concept of gossip. The book was called The Secrets of a Quiet Life, and Paul is talking about being quiet here. Here's what he wrote. I once formed a mutual encouragement fellowship at a time of stress in one of my pastorates. The members subscribed to a simple formula. All these people joined him in this covenant. The simple formula applied before speaking out of any person or subject that was perhaps controversial. It was built on the word think, T-H-I-N-K. Each letter of that word, think, stood for a question. 
T, is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? If what I'm about to say does not pass those tests, he writes, I will keep my mouth shut. It works. Now, I've tried to apply that to my life, and I find that I talk a lot less. <laughs> because every time I get to the letter N, is it necessary? I go, hmm. <laughs> that really cuts through a lot of stuff you know, that we're talking about. So Paul says, no gossip. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. And here's the whole point of this section. Never tire of doing what's right, the NIV says. Uh, weariness is the subject. Now, our flesh, our physical body, will get tired, but Paul's talking about something broader than that, about physical, mental, and spiritual weariness. And often they go hand in hand, that when you're finding yourself worn out spiritually or emotionally, it's because you're physically not getting enough rest. So he's written about this before, and he points to the reward. Because it's most difficult to continue in working when you don't get anything back. But the reward is still going on. It just means then a hit, right, into eternity. Paul wrote to the Galatians and said, 6-9, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So he's trying to encourage them to keep going in acts of kindness, that phrase has been stolen by car companies for some reason, you know, random acts of kindness, but it's definitely Paul's idea here. Chuck Swindoll said it this way, kindness is a language that deaf people can hear and blind people can see. He meant spiritually that just an act of kindness that somebody would not hear if you're trying to preach the gospel at them, do an act of kindness for them and they'll see it and be drawn to it. Fatigue makes cowards of all. That's what Lombardi said, Green Bay Packers coach, that when you get tired, you lose your faith, your confidence to step out. Fear takes over where faith used to reside. And God says he has a, a way to fix that. It's not to be more spiritual. It's not to do more for God. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's clearest, I believe, it. In Isaiah chapter 40, you may have read it recently, and it speaks of coming and resting. Jesus said it in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So rest is what we need. Pastor Ed Ray providing the biblical prescription for the weary on today's Grow in Grace. We continue now in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 with Pastor Ed further illustrating why some are weary, underscoring the need for rest. Compassion fatigue, we hear uh, from charity organizations. It's a person who has given and given and given, and they just get tired of giving. You're probably, some of you in this room are going through that right now. It's the time of year where a lot of people are asking for gifts and donations and things. And Paul's word is don't grow weary, but if you are weary, we'll see a solution here. 
and it's in those who wait. Those who wait on the Lord. He said, for those who wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. God will refresh us. The young men run and they get weary. But if you will wait on the Lord, God will fill you and you will take wings like eagles that you'll run and not be weary and that you won't faint. That if we would wait on God, if we would take time with him. So when you feel that pressure coming, it requires you to slow down. We don't really like to do that. We like to press in even harder than. God is saying, wait on me and I will refresh you. I will give you what you need, verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our word of this letter, of this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Ashamed? We don't hear that word very often. Paul is talking about someone in the body who is not working, and Paul says, step away from them. Now, this is an important concept but don't let it throw you. Jesus ate with sinners. He sat down with tax collectors and prostitutes, publicans, and he was criticized for that. Unless we go to the non-believer and to the marginalized Christian, hell is gonna beat him up. So God wants us, I, let me use myself as an example, I don't really like to, but I have friends that are non-Christians. Pastor, how can you do that? Where else are they gonna hear about Jesus, right? And I have friends who are Christians that are just barely hanging on by their fingertips. And I keep in the relationship as long as it doesn't drag me down. Example, I have a good friend, 30 years, who is very intelligent. He is a physician as well as a professor. I used to work for him. He plays guitar really well, and so we do dueling guitars things, and we talk a lot. Unless he's on this negative, he's an atheist, okay? Full-blown atheist. And we have been bantering back and forth the whole time we've known each other. And usually I do real good with him. You know, he says, you know, I'm not sure that you're as smart as, as I once thought you were because you believe that God created everything. And I say, well, I don't think you're as smart as I thought you were either because you believe that material things made themselves. Evolution, okay? And that goes back and forth and back and forth. But sometimes he wears on me because I am impressed with him. He is a brilliant idiot. (laughs) And sometimes he says some really smart things. And then he does one of his atheist things. I just go, oh my goodness, the fool has set in his heart. And yeah, we've done all the jokes about April 1st is his day and all that sort of stuff. So I have to back away. I have to get away from him. You know, just calm down a little bit and, and, and then go back in again. That's what Paul is talking about. When it drags you down, put some distance, step away. Don't be afraid to tell them. The, the Greek word here, admonish them is a strong word in the next verse. Do not count him as an enemy. It's not an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Speak to him. uh, The word notirio means to warn, to instruct, to give a biblical answer for what this person needs. That will work its way into their life. I'll give you an example at the end. Verse 16, last section, peace and grace. 
Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Hmm, Paul seems to think a lot about peace. The master, the ruler of peace himself, would he give you peace? Now, Paul, of course, was Jewish, and so he thinks of the word shalom, no doubt, even though he's writing this in Greek. The Lord of peace, to the Jew, peace was this balance, harmony, not just an absence of struggle, but everything is right mentally, physically, and spiritually, that you are quiet before God, that you're not agitated. May he give you peace always in every way in your life. It's a prayer from Paul for them and for you and for me. The Lord be with you all. God is with us, but we forget. (laughs) We don't stop and get quiet before him and wait on him. Verse 17, in between peace and grace, he has this little statement. The salutation of Paul. No doubt Paul, the word, was written by Paul in big letters because he was having eye problems. We think it might have been malaria from uh, Asia Minor. This ending by Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, every letter, so I write. Paul says, you got a bad letter. You got a forgery here. Let me sign this so you know it's from me. The grace now, verse 18, of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Paul begins his letters with grace and peace. He ends his letters with grace and peace. Remember the Greek word for grace is gift. It's something that we don't deserve. Everything that's good that comes to us even though we don't deserve it. Philip Yancey wrote a great book, bestseller, What's So Amazing About Grace. This is what he talks about grace being in his own life. Grace comes free of charge to people who do not deserve it, and I am one of those people. I think back to whom I was, resentful, wound tight with anger, a single hardened link in a long chain of ungrace learned from family and church. Now I am trying in my own small way to pipe to the tune of grace. I do so because I know more surely than I know anything that any little pang of healing or forgiveness or goodness which I have felt comes solely from the grace of God. I yearn for the church to become a nourishing culture of grace. I grew up in a church of condemnation. I grew up in a church where the pastor would yell at you every week, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. And he was right, we, we were. But people don't grow in that kind of environment. Peter said, grow in grace. Grace gives you the freedom, the air to take in a deep breath. It's a gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't merit it. I don't. But God gives it to anyone. Okay, let's go back and try and sum up that 13, verse 13. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good and well-doing, where it means to lose heart, to despair. Paul says, don't do that. When you're growing weary, I quoted it, but let me give it to you and read it. Isaiah 40, verse 20. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. There's that word. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They'll mount up with wings of eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Those who wait upon the Lord. New Testament, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light, Matthew eleven thirty twenty eight. Come to me, those of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He comforts us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort those with the same comfort by which we have been comforted. We get comfort from God and we give it away. It, it is for freedom, Galatians 5.1, that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, weariness. Don't grow weary. Sometimes it's wearying when we look at people around us who have a disorderly lifestyle, to use Paul's words, an unruly lifestyle that they seem to be doing fine. They're not. Inside, they're struggling. Let me give you an example. It's a great story by Ruth Graham. It's called The Shoeshine Man and the Doctor. He was a small man, but the shoeshine man polished away with enthusiasm. He liked his work in downtown Philadelphia. He liked turning a pair of scruffy leather shoes into a shining work of art. He liked the men who sat in his chair and called him by his name, Johnny, and buried their noses in the morning newspaper. He especially liked the little foreign man with a funny accent. His friendly, today, how are you, was said in such a way that it let him know that this man really did care how Johnny was. What Johnny did not know was that the man with the funny accent was from Soviet Georgia, was an atheist, and held three earned PhDs. But Johnny just kept polishing happily away. A day came when the unhappy professor could stand it no longer, looking down at Johnny working so cheerfully and enthusiastically on his shoes and thinking of his own inner misery, he put down his newspaper and said, why are you always so happy? Surprised, Johnny paused for a moment, sat back, scratched his head thoughtfully, and then said, Jesus, he loves me. He died so God could forgive my badness. He makes me happy. The newspaper snapped back up. The professor didn't say anything. Johnny smiled to himself, shirked it off, and went back to polishing his shoes. But the brilliant University of Pennsylvania professor could not escape those simple words. They bothered him in his heart. Jesus. They were what brought him shortly after to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Several years later, a young man named Billy Graham attended the University of Pennsylvania. He said the professor that had the greatest impact on his life was Dr. Alexander Grigola. The same man who found God through the simple testimony of a shoeshine man named Johnny. Are you struggling? Unhappy? Distressed? What you need is Jesus. Good news for the worn out and weary pastor it has given us today on Grow in Grace. Jesus, who died for our sins and then rose from the dead, is willing and able to save anyone who would simply ask. That's good news and amazing grace. And with that, we've made it through 2 Thessalonians. 
If you missed part of today's message or would just like to hear it again, go online to thepackinghouse.org or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. We're also on YouTube at Packing House Christian Fellowship. Your support for Grow in Grace is not only needed, but greatly appreciated. And those that do this month will send you Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. Maybe prayer to you is just something you do without much thought before a meal or just another thing to cross off your to-do list. There's great power through prayer, and this book will help elevate your thinking about it. To see how it truly makes a difference, this guidebook provides believers with information about the most effective way to use prayer to better understand God's Word, fully appreciate divine power, and more deeply commune with the Lord. Again, it's our way of saying thanks for your gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can reach us at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Tomorrow, we'll turn the page and begin 1 Timothy. We have that to look forward to in the days ahead here on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is furnished on this station by Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, 